Welcome to the Living Hope Church audio podcast. Join us weekly as Pastor Jeff Myers shares from God's Word. If you'd like more information about Living Hope Church of Dixon, California, please visit our website at livinghopedixon.com. All right. Good morning. So, uh, we're going to continue in our uh, Welcome to the Kingdom series this morning and um, just kind of uh, dive in. We're going to be talking about this, this whole idea of uh, the, what, the way the Bible talks about the kingdom. And the kingdom being uh, this uh, perfect world that God created when he, with, you know, he was present uh, from the very beginning. Uh, man and woman walked with God. Everything was full of his glory and everything else. Sin enters the world for the, through the first man and first woman. And, and then that kingdom fractures to this fallen, jacked-up world that we live in and the, the kind of uh, spiritual realm that God physically uh, inhabits now. And so uh, this fractured kingdom is, is, is the result of sin. And, and then Jesus comes on the scene, and through his work on the cross and uh, through the resurrection, uh, provides a, a doorway now between the two kingdoms through the power of the resurrection, through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. We have direct access to God. And one day Christ will return, set everything straight, and the kingdom will be completely healed, where the, the, the physical kingdom, the spiritual kingdom come back together once again, uh, and everything will be full of God's glory, and, and uh, everything will be right. So uh, we, we've talked about different aspects of that kingdom over the last couple of weeks. And what I want to talk about today is the idea of death in the kingdom. What is death? Uh, what does that actually look like in uh, God's kingdom? Um, and there's all kinds of different ideas out there about death. You know, there's some people think that, uh, that when we die, uh, we, we just become, you know, just, just matter, just, just dust of the earth, and, and uh, we just disappear. There's no spiritual self to us or whatever, you know. We just become nothing. And, uh, and then, uh, the, you know, there's, there's other people who believe we're reincarnated as something else. And uh, we come back, uh, you know, depending on whether you lived a good life or an evil life, you come back as, you know, either a higher form or a lower form or, you know, whatever. There's all that. So what we're going to talk about this morning is, is the way that the Bible portrays death in this kingdom that the Bible talks about. Um, and so... As I was studying this whole idea of death, one of the things that, that came clear to me, like once again, well, first of all, let me just say this: for centuries, <coughs> excuse me, for centuries now, um, you know, since the time of Christ up until very recently, and centuries even before Christ, um, people, you know, people who were followers of God, faithful to God, um, had a pretty clear view, a pretty clear idea of what happened when a person died. And what has happened just actually over the last several decades, uh, that has become a little bit muddy. Um, and I think it's through lack of teaching, through lack of uh, emphasis, emphasis or interest. Uh, there's just not as much interest in talking about um, heaven and hell. And people don't like to talk about death and, you know, that sort of thing. And we tend to, you know, church tends to focus on, uh, you know, God's love and things like that, and, which is all well and good. I'm not discounting God's love. He's, he's pretty big on love. And so, uh, but we've got kind of gotten away kind of overall church, not just, I'm not talking about us, but just church worldwide, kind of gotten away from this uh, teaching (coughs) of what happens when we die, what heaven and hell looks like. 
uh, that sort of thing. And what, as I kind of dove into it and began to study it, I, I, I very quickly realized that uh, the stuff that was taught to me as a kid, that I, I mean, I had, a very, I had a very clear teaching about this stuff when I was a, when I was a child. And that stuff uh, is exactly what the Bible teaches. And, and, and so what I want to do is kind of put to rest a lot of weird ideas that you might have about, um, you know, death or heaven and hell and things like that. And, and, uh, and just, let's just look today at what the Bible says. What does the Bible say is going to happen when we die? Now, let me, let me deal with real quickly. I didn't do this first service. Uh, you guys get bonus teaching. Um, and so uh, anyway, that, let me deal with a couple of kind of myths that are out there uh, that I hear often. Um, and a lot of times it, these, these things come from well-meaning people who are trying to comfort people who are experiencing loss. And when they do this, I, I always cringe because I think it actually does more damage than help. Uh, what, what oftentimes people mean for good and compassion and things like that actually can be a very confusing message. One thing I've heard, maybe you've heard this too, is that when, when we uh, die, we will become angels. Um, and I've even heard people say, well, you know, God just needed another angel. And so that's why, you know, so-and-so, that's why, you know, your, your kid or your wife or whoever died, and God just needed another angel. Well, can I just tell you, uh, that is a horrible thing to say. Horrible, absolutely horrible thing. Now, you may like to think of that person uh, in some sort of angelic state, uh, but God did not kill your loved one because there was an angel shortage in heaven. That is not what happened, Okay. Uh, we, we don't become angels. In fact, angels are completely different creatures than us. And so, um, in fact, I, I would say that if you really dig into Scripture, you'll find that uh, God has something much greater in store for us than, than just simply slapping some wings on us and, you know, making us angels. Um, now, again, I know people might say that very well-meaning and trying to offer some comfort or whatever. I just think, I just think it makes God look... Um, arbitrary in the way people are called to him or what. I don't know. I, I just don't like it. Stop doing it. And so, uh, so there's that, there's that, there's, there's also this idea of, um, and I've talked about this, uh, before there's this idea where people will say, well, you know, somebody, somebody close to you dies and somebody might say to you, well, this is all part of God's plan. And, uh, and, and, and I want to set that straight and just say, and I've said this at funerals, I've said it to people, um, death was never part of God's plan. Sin entered the world and brought death into the world. But life was always a part of God's plan. And God's plan will be life once again. Life once again. That this idea that somehow, um, again, it, it, when we say things like this, this is why theology saves. <laughs> theology saves. When, you're, when your theology about things is correct, there's actually hope in that theology. When you start making things up because it sounds good or because you think it's going to offer some hope to things, hope to people, oftentimes it, does, it has the exact opposite effect. And this is why it's so important. I'm going to chastise you for just a second. Uh, and me too. This is why it's so important that this time that we have together here every week is not your only source of Bible study. It is critical that, that 
well, I'm not, I'm not going to say critical. I'll say it this way, that I think when you take the time to study God's word on your own, I mean, genuinely get into it and study it. Um, um, you know, there, there's different kinds of way to read the Bible. And, and, you know, I mean, you can just get in there and read for devotional purposes, and that's great, and you need to do that. And then, then I think it's also healthy to get in and, and study it, which, which may look like something a little bit different, where you may, may approach the Bible instead of saying, I'm just going to read something. You approach it maybe topically. I, I want to look at everything the Bible has to say about death. I want to look at what the Bible has to say about um, different topics and things like that. And when you, you get a kind of overall picture of the word, it helps you refute teaching that is bad. It helps you have a, helps you be able to offer a hope to people that is actually rooted into the truth, not into some, something that is just some sort of fairy tale that we kind of come up with. And so, uh, I, again, I just think, I think it's extremely important. Now, that said, what I want to dive into today is, is looking at what happens when we die. And again, <clears throat> if you are, um, if you've been, if you're like me and you've been in church for years and years and years, um, some of this may sound very familiar to you and you'll, and you'll, be, and you'll be thinking, why haven't I heard that taught in so many years? If you are brand new to church, this might all be brand new to you. Uh, but, uh, regardless what we're going to kind of dig in now, this, what, what we are not doing today is, uh, um, all the, uh, theories about Jesus's second coming. That's not what today is about. We could do a whole study on that. Um, but, but here, here's my thing about that. People who tend to be um, kind of turned on by all those, um, you know, theories and, and uh, conspiracy theories and, uh, you know, looking for the Antichrist in every bush and around every corner. <clears throat> um, I, I, have, I have issue with that because this is what I think. First of all, what I'm going to teach on today, the Bible, I believe, is crystal clear about. When you start getting into the theories of, Christ's coming back, his second coming, and the order of events that's going to happen, and the timeline that's going to happen, and what that's all going to look like, it is all speculation. It is all speculation. There are two, three, four different uh, views out there of how all that's going to take place. And, and if you approach the, the Bible with an open mind and look at all the evidence, uh, I, I think you'll most likely land a little bit like me, which is, yeah, that's, that sounds like that. I can see where they get that. I, that's just, I think that could, might happen that way. And you might also look at another view and go, yeah, I can see how they come to that conclusion too. And I can see, you know, how they, you know, that might possibly happen. But the Bible is not crystal clear about the chain of events that, that take place with Jesus' second coming. We just know, what you know for sure, what the Bible is crystal clear about is he's coming. Okay, he's coming. It's going to happen someday. Um, now, I'm going I'm to tick some people off with, with this one, but um, l- let me just say that um, what I think a lot of times, and again, I'm not saying that's not a valuable study for you. I think all study of scripture is valuable. But I think if you tend to be a person that is just uh, drawn to all the different theories, and I mean, maybe back in the, you know, back years and years ago, you bought a book about how Hitler was the Antichrist and then later found it on the dollar bookshelf. And then, and then, you know, back in the nineties, you bought a book about how Saddam Hussein was the Antichrist. And now that book's on the dollar shelf or burned up somewhere. Or now, you know, you can go buy a book about how Obama's the Antichrist and, you know, whatever. Um, if you're constantly looking for these theories, what I think, think, what I think about that, I think it is more of a distraction from Satan than it is helpful. Because I think it distracts us from the things that are actually really important, which is the fact that Christ is coming 
And there's very clear teaching about what we need to do uh, in preparation for that and what life is going to look like after that. And, and I think that's really where our focus needs to be. Again, not that the other study is not valuable. I think it is valuable to go and study that. But I'm, I'm just telling you, you know, if, if you're banking your rock steady theory about the second coming of Christ on the book of Revelation and all of its talk of, you know, bowls and lampstands and dragons and everything else that is so symbolic and you can draw a rock steady you know theory from all of that then that's great but i can't i can't i'm not saying it's not helpful it's absolutely helpful it's absolutely encouraging to read in in that stuff i mean it's meant for encouragement actually if you if you read it properly it's meant for encouragement i'm just saying when you when you're banking what you want to call as fact off of language that is very clearly symbolic um, I just think, I think that's a little bit ridiculous, but that's just me. You can disagree with me and we can still be friends. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Now that I've alienated everybody, let's go. Okay. So this is the truth. Step one, you're going to die. You're going to die. Every single one of us are going to die. It's going to happen. It's happening right now. People are dying right and left. In fact, your body's dying as we speak right now. Um, I was attacked by some sort of bug Friday night and felt like death for several hours. And, and, uh, and, but you, we are all in, I mean, once you born, you are basically on a lifelong process of dying. Okay. It is a part of life. It's a part of life. That said, can we just admit that we really only care about death? Most of us really only care about death when it strikes close to us. And when, and oftentimes people will become very, um, they will just rail against and lash out at uh, God and even walk away from their faith when death strikes close to home uh, and wonder how a loving God could possibly let something like that happen. And what I want to say to you this morning is that it is a part of life. Death is not God picking on you. It is not God picking on you. It is not God, you know, what, what, it is, it's not his uh, uh, anger against you or anything like that. Death is just a part of life. People die. People die. I mean, and, and, and again, you'll get very emotional, very caught up, even abandon your faith over, over a death that is extremely close to you. While all the while, um, well, I, Another pastor I know, I heard him say it this way once, that we will, we will shake our fist in the air at God when an airplane goes down and hundreds of people are killed without ever praising him for the thousands of flights that landed safely before that. This kind of stuff is just part of life. It just happens. It happens because of just the natural chain of events. It happens because of free will and human people to do right and wrong. It, it, just, it, it just happens. It just happens. I'm not discounting the pain. I'm not. In fact, one of the things I love so much about Scripture when you look into the book of Psalms is, is that we have this great picture of David who uh, gives us the, the complete range of human emotion through his songbook. Gives us the complete range of human emotion. There are times that he is praising God for everything he's done and everything he is and just for being God. And then there are times that he is 
railing against God, angry, confused, frustrated uh, because of a death, because of an enemy, because of whatever circumstances, because of just a depression, whatever might be going on in his life, and, and just this complete range of human emotions. But the beautiful thing about David's uh, songbook is that he might, you might pick a song, Psalm 13, for instance, where that talks about, um, uh, you know, <clears throat> how long will you forget me, O Lord? How long are you going to uh, turn your back on me? Are you even there anymore? Just kind of lashing out confusion. Where are you? It's, it feels like you're not even alive anymore, whatever. And then he ends that same song so filled with what we would make, might consider negative emotion. He ends that same song and basically just says, but glory be to you. But, but glory be to your name. In other words, God, I don't get why this is happening. And I might be angry and I might be confused and I might be frustrated and, and trying to figure out what your will is in all this. But this thing I know, you're God and I'm not. And so I'm going to lean into you. And that is a healthy expression of, of, of that emotion. And so just kind of uh, before we go any further, just begin to think through. And I know a lot of us don't like to think through death. But begin to think through death in terms of When the time comes that I'm called upon to suffer, when I'm called upon to mourn, I'm going to do, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm going to do everything I can to bring glory to God in whatever circumstance my life leads me through. In whatever circumstance it leads me through, whether it's painful, whether it's planned or unplanned, I'm going to do everything I can to bring glory to God in that circumstance. Because I'm going to be honest with you, I don't care how many people you faith heal. <laughs> I don't care how many uh, other miracles uh, that might be that you might see or witness or, or or see demonstrated in your life. For my money, there is no miracle greater than a child of God praising God in the worst suffering. I mean, there is no miracle greater. It is it is one of the most beautiful things in, for me to ever see. It is absolutely beautiful. Resolve now to be that kind of person that when death comes, to to God be the glory. To God be the glory. But we're all going to die. Now, here's where we get into it. When we die, our death, uh, what happens when we die, is very directly impacted on what came before we died. Okay? Um, And I'll put it this way. Put up that next slide. Actually, the next, next slide. There we go. Death is coming. Your reflection determines your destiny. Death is coming. Your reflection determines your destiny. And what I mean by that is this, that in the beginning, back in the very beginning in Genesis uh, 1 and 2, when, when uh, all creation and, and man and woman were created, uh, God, you know, every day of creation that he created, all the stuff of the universe said, this is good, this is good, this is good. He gets to man on the sixth day, he creates man, and he, he looks at creation. And he doesn't say this is good. He said, this is very good. This is very good. And then he goes on to, uh, to, to tell us that we, are, we were created uh, different from the rest of creation in that we are the image bearers of God Most High. We are the image bearers of God. And there is something about God that is stamped on us that he did not stamp on the rest of creation. That we are his image bearers to this word. We take his image to this word. In other words, the primary goal, the primary purpose of a human is to reflect God to the rest of the world. 
to reflect God to the rest of the world. And when we get into what this idea of sin is, which we, you know, we talk about a lot in church, you know, sin. Sin is not so much the breaking of a rule in a long list of rules that you might find in the Bible. That's not really when you get to the core of it what sin is. Because when we sin, when you break one of those rules or whatever, what's actually happened, it's not just the fact, it's not like God, you know, when we're, as parents, you'll, you'll look at your kids and, and you know, maybe they disobey you. And you will say, I very clearly told you, know the rules of this house. I very clearly told you not to do this. Not to, and you did all of those things, right? And, and, you, you, and we're mad. Because, why? Because you broke my rules. I, I was clear. What I said was expected. And you disobeyed me. With God, it's, it's slightly different. It's slightly different. It's not so much that God is up there going, I'm so mad that I gave you guys rules and you broke my rules. That's not what it is. It's that when we sin... It's not just because you did something bad. It's because you poorly reflected God's image. You poorly reflected God's image. And what's happening is if you are a person who, is, who finds yourself sinning because of a, a need for power and your ego and things like that, then power and ego is what you will reflect to this world. If you find yourself sinning uh, in terms of your sexuality, uh, and, and you find that's where you find your identity is in your sexuality, then a, 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 a twisted sense of sexuality is what you will reflect to this world. If you find yourself uh, sinning uh, against any number of other things, it, it's, it's you worshiping that aspect of life instead of worshiping God and reflecting that what we worship, we reflect. And if you worship money and you worship greed, then money and greed is what you will reflect to this world. And when we sin against God, it's not that the issue is that we broke a rule. It's that he created you to perfectly reflect himself to this world around us. And you are a poor reflection of God's image. That is really what sin is all about. Not being God's image bearers in the way that he created us to be. And so our destiny will depend on who we're reflecting. Are you reflecting sin? Are you reflecting yourself? Or, now, here, now here's where we get all nervous. When we hear that, that idea that we're all called to be, reflect God's image and kind of judged on that and that sort of thing, that doesn't sit well with any of us because, you know, every one of us could probably stand and say, I, I do not always reflect God's image well. Just don't. I don't. But the beautiful thing is, is that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we're no longer, longer reflecting our image, we're reflecting his we reflect God's image back to him and back to the rest of the world. And that's the beautiful thing about Jesus Christ. And so it's not that you stand based on your own effort before a holy God going, look how good I did. You stand before a holy God going, look who I put my faith in. Look who I put my faith in. And I'm reflecting Jesus as best as I can. Now, go to the next slide. So when we die... This is what happens. Uh, this is where the Bible is clear. It uses some very clear language. And I'm, I'm going to kind of pick it apart for you the best I can and kind of, kind of set it up for you. Um, in the Bible, there is language uh, that this word Sheol. Everybody say Sheol. Sheol, uh, there's also a word uh, Hades. And uh, sometimes we translate that, that word as, as the grave. And this is a word that uh, the biblical writers use all throughout the Bible to refer to the place we go when we die. Uh, and so... Um, the Jewish word that was used for so, so long was Sheol, and it's used in the Old and New Testament. But occasionally, as, as the world became more Greek, 
Christians and Jews alike began to use a word that Greeks could identify with, and so they use this word Hades, which if you're familiar with uh, Greek mythology or you ever saw Disney's uh, Hercules movie or whatever, uh, you know, there's this character Hades. There's this this kind of Greek god character that is Hades, and it it represents the realm of of death and that sort of thing. And so Christians uh, began to kind of adopt that word in replacement of Sheol, so that they would identify and understand what they were talking about. And again, sometimes we, uh, in our English language, translate that just simply as the grave. But when we talk about the grave, we're not talking about simply this, this, this hole in the ground where our bodies are laid. Uh, it is, is a much more, it's a much deeper meaning than that. It ref, it, what it refers to is the place where we go when we pass from this existence into the next. And so... When we die, we are in this fractured side of the kingdom, this fallen, sinful side of the kingdom. And God is in this spiritual realm, this more spiritual side of the kingdom that has been now, like we've talked about, linked by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we die, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, and you go to this other realm, this spiritual realm, uh, that the Bible often refers to as as, uh, Sheol, uh, what happens is you go to what Jesus referred to on the cross as he was talking to a thief as paradise, where he said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. What other parts of the Bible refer to as the bosom of Abraham. Um, and, and it's this idea of, it's different from the idea of purgatory. We're not talking about purgatory. Purgatory is an idea that, that some faiths have come up with uh, kind of from extra biblical sources and that sort of thing, uh, where it's kind of this, this weird uh, uh, kind of holding place between now and later where, you can be prayed to one side of it or the other and, you know, that sort of thing. That's not, that's not the biblical idea of death. Instead, the, the biblical idea is this holding place where we basically go to um, paradise, the bosom of Abraham, the presence of God, and we are there in the presence of God until the return of Christ. If you are not a Christ follower, you go to a place in Sheol that is re- referred to as torment or sometimes Hades. Uh, a place of, 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 of uh, great torment. Now, the, the clearest, there's a lot of different kind of single verse, single reference uh, teachings on this all throughout Scripture, but the clearest kind of overall teaching about this is right in a, a story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 16. Luke 16, start with verse 19. It says this, <clears throat> There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his, at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, this is the rich man, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, 
If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Now, Jesus, uh, what we're talking about today, I don't think is the uh, first and foremost reason Jesus gave this parable. I think the, the big reason Jesus tells this parable is to kind of mix up and shake up the thinking of, of the Jews that he was speaking to, where they had this idea of if you were poor, it was probably because of some sin. And if you were rich, it was because God was blessing you. And Jesus is turning that idea on its head and saying, no, it's not. It's about your heart. It's about how it's about, you know, who you've been following in your faith and things like that. It's not about your status in society or how much wealth you have or don't have. But in this teaching, teaching, he gives us some kind of very clear images of what happens when we die. He has this teaching of of the grave and of 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 of, uh, um, um, Hades and of paradise or the bosom of Abraham. And again, it's this idea that when we die, if you're a Christ follower, the place you go is from this side of the fractured kingdom to the next side of the fractured kingdom into the presence of God, into the presence of God, where there will be peace and there will be comfort and, and all that we hope for. And if you're not following Christ, you go to a place of tor- torment. If, you're not, if you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, you go to a place of, of torment. Now, the next thing that it says what will happen is that Christ will return. At some point, what happens is Christ returns. And uh, like I said, we all die. Unless Christ returns within our lifetime, uh, we will all experience death and we will all experience this chain of events. And if, if he returns within our lifetime, it looks maybe a little bit different. But this is, what, this is what happens when Christ returns. Look at Revelation 22. Start with verse 12. Jesus says, uh, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And then he says this, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. This is a great, great teaching. So Jesus, we're told, when he returns someday, what's going to happen? He returns not only victoriously as king, but he also returns as judge. And he is coming to set all things that are wrong right. He will set everything's right. A couple of chapters earlier, um, we, we get a description of Jesus returning. He comes in on a white horse with a blood-soaked robe, with a tattoo on his thigh and a flaming mouth. And all. I mean, he, Jesus is coming to take care of business. This is not your Vidal Sassoon, Grandma's picture on the wall, Jesus. This is, this is a Jesus that is, is setting things right. And he comes back as a true and a righteous and a perfect judge. And he will judge the living and the dead. The living and the dead. Now, when we talk about this judgment, like we've talked about a couple weeks ago, this judgment uh, looks much different if you're a Christ follower than if you're not a Christ follower. Much different. Uh, Jesus said uh, in John's uh, gospel that uh, for those who are apart from him, he would judge them, but he does not judge those who stand with him. He does not judge them. Why? Because... When God looks at us who are standing with Christ, he does not see us. He does not see the lives that we've lived, the things that we've done, the sins that we've committed. Instead, he sees the perfection of Jesus Christ. His blood, his sacrifice for us covers us, washes us clean, makes us perfect, makes us righteous in God's eyes. But for those who choose rather than to stand with Jesus, but instead to stand on their own, on their own, the judgment is much different. The judgment is much different. Now, a lot of people will say, um, you know, it doesn't sound like a very loving God that would send people to hell. 
That's kind of our human way of thinking. When in fact, it's such a short-sighted view of the world and of the universe and everything that if you, if you take a step back and you take a greater view, you'll see we have a picture of a very, very loving, holy, righteous, good God who went above and beyond, bent over backward to make a way for us to be perfect before him, to live in his presence, to have direct access to him, even though we ourselves, there's no, nothing righteous about us. He sent his son to die the death that we could not die. This is, a, this is a beautiful picture of love. The thing about God, though, it's actually one of the things I love most about him. He doesn't force us to love him. He doesn't force us. Doesn't for, I mean, we're not puppets in his hand. He does, he's not just manipulating all of our decisions and all of our moves. That's not how God does. God gives us this sense of free will where we get to choose. We get to choose. And it really, if you think about it, would it be love if we were forced to love him? No. But he allows us to choose. And he clears the way. I mean, absolutely clears the path for us. Makes it easy for us to come to him. And if we choose to ignore that, if we choose to stand on our own rather than stand with him, then there's judgment. Why? Because, yes, he's love. And, yes, he's good. But he's also just. He's also just. And what may not seem fair to you, can I just be honest with you, doesn't really matter because it's not, you're not God and it's not your universe. If you want to change the rules, go get your own universe. Right? So that's just that's the way it works. It's, he's, he's God and it's his universe. And he is perfect justice, perfect justice. So the next thing that happens, Christ returns, he judges uh, everyone, the living and the dead. Those who stand uh, on their own apart from him uh, will receive uh, the reward of Gehenna. Uh, the, that's the biblical word that we normally translate into hell. Gehenna was actually an actual place uh, outside of the southeast uh, gates of Jerusalem. Uh, in fact, it's still an actual place. It's still there. Um, and Gehenna in Jerusalem, early, early on, you know, uh, several thousand years ago, uh, it was a place where um, people who were worshiping other gods because false gods were constantly making their way into, the, into uh, Israel, people who were worshiping other gods would take their children to this area outside the gates of the city and sacrifice them to these other gods. And it was a place that was burning. It eventually was turned into kind of a trash heap outside of, uh, outside of the city walls and was constantly burning uh, that way. And it became, and very quickly, the idea of Gehenna uh, became become to be uh, come to be equated with the idea of hell in their thinking. And so, when they would say you're going to go to a place of torment, they would often say you're going to go to you're going to go to Gehenna. In fact, Jesus, when he refers to the idea of hell or Gehenna, he's not always talking about the hell of the afterlife that we often think about. Uh, sometimes he's actually referring to that trash heap. Uh, I think oftentimes when, when he's telling them, you know, because they, they had this idea of the kingdom and, and, and it would be kind of this re, uh, re, uh, rebellion against Rome and all this kind of stuff. And Jesus often, instead of saying, if you, if you don't stop this, you're going to go to hell. What he was actually saying is, if you don't stop this, this whole city is going to be laid flat and on fire like Gehenna. Why? Because 
it's a, it's a, it's a losing cause. And eventually, AD 70, uh, the Romans came in and completely sacked Jerusalem and tore down the temple. I mean, he, and it, it was all part of his prophecy. But oftentimes he was referring to the afterlife and the other scripture writers referring to the afterlife and referring to this idea of there will be this place that, that, that is for those who are outside of the faith, um, that is about torment, uh, that is uh, signified by pain and suffering and fire and separation from God and that sort of thing. Uh, for those who place their faith in, in Christ, uh, what they get is they get to live in that restored kingdom that we've been talking about for so long, that restored kingdom. You know, uh, before, go back one verse uh, to, da, 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 go back, go back, go back, go back, go back, we're not, no, no, back another one, like several verses. No, that was forward, go back. Uh, that, that's the one, that last paragraph, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life. And now, this is a beautiful picture, and it really kind of firms up what we've been talking about lately, that if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man, where, where sin enters into the world, at the end of that chapter, God has dealt with sin. He has, he has said how what the fallen world is now going to look like. God has this little snippet of a conversation kind of with himself. Uh, I, I believe he's actually having it with the other members of, of the Trinity. And he says, he says this, he says, let us take up then the tree of life so that they won't eat from that tree and then have eternal life. In other words, they already ate of this tree that I told them not to eat of, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Let, now I'm going to take up the tree of life so they don't have eternal life. I actually think, it, it, my opinion is, this is actually when the, when the kingdom fractured. And now we have this picture of when Jesus comes back and he's saying, I, I, want, you to, I want you to stand with me with your robes washed white. Why? Because the tree of life is coming back to this world and I want you to eat of it now. You have free access to it. Eternal life is now yours. Eternal life is now yours. And this is this, is this image. Judgment happens. Those who stand on their own will go to hell. Those who stand with Christ into the kingdom that is now restored. Revelations 20, starting with verse 11, says this. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. <clears throat> and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Go to, um, it says 20, it should be 21 on the next slide. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. And again, it's this, it's this beautiful, beautiful image of, of, of judgment happens. God sets all things right. And those who have not chosen faith in Jesus Christ will go to their eternal punishment and then 
The kingdom is fused back together again. Heaven comes down to us. Everything is set right. God's glory fills the earth. God's presence fills the earth. The tree of life is here again, and we get to experience eternal life. No more suffering, no more pain, no more crying, no more tears. Everything is set right as it is meant to be, and we live with God forever. And it's this beautiful, beautiful thing that we have to look forward to. But like we talked about last week, guys, we are not just simply saved for heaven. We're saved for the kingdom. And the kingdom is right now. The kingdom is right now. And a lot of times we get in the habit of asking people, maybe somebody asked you this question one day. Ask, you might refer, you know, when we're sharing, sharing faith with Christ, a lot of people ask this question. Um, do you know where you're going when you die? Do you know where you're going when you die? And, and like we talked about last week, about right questions and wrong questions, I kind of think that's the wrong question. I think the right question is not, do you know where you're going when you die? And instead, start asking, do you know where you're going right now? Do you know where you're going right now? Because God has not just saved you to give you some sort of fire insurance against hell. He has not just saved you so that someday you can live with him in heaven. He has saved you for right here, right now. He has work for you to do. He has purpose. He has fulfillment for you right now. He has peace, as the Bible says, peace that passes all understanding. Why is it that when uh, somebody who's following Jesus Christ, when, when they're faced with some of the worst suffering moments of their lives, can somehow, in the midst of all that, find some sense of fulfillment, some sense of peace, some sense of even nearness with God in the midst of all that, and others are so hopeless? Why? It's because we are saved for right here and right now, and just go, you go back, go back, you know, we've talked about before that the heaven is not this kind of ethereal, spiritual place where we float around and just happy and sing songs all day. Instead, it's this place, it's, it's, it's going to be familiar to us. It's going to, it's going to look a little bit like Dixon. <laughs> it's going to look a little bit like California. It's going to look a little bit like this earth, but instead full of the glory of God, full of the presence of God. And just as God back in the very beginning gave Adam a job. When, when everything was still perfect and the kingdom was, wasn't fractured yet and everything was, was beautiful and full of the presence and glory of God, he gave Adam a job. He said, I want you to name the animals. I want you to subdue the earth. You've got work here to do, and it's going to be work that's fulfilling to you. It's going to be work that's meaningful to you. You're going to find your identity in that work. And instead, I think when the kingdom comes back together once again on that day after Christ returns, what's going to happen is it's not just some weird place where we go and we float around. No, there's work to do. We will have a job. We will, we will, we will find meaning. We will find purpose. We will find everything that has been lacking in this earth, we will find in that kingdom that's to come. It's all going to be there. In fact, the Bible even says you're going to have a new name. That a new name that only God knows. And this is what I think. I think, that, I think when, when God sees you and he calls you by that new name, suddenly, like, the light bulb is going to click on for you. It's like for the first time in your existence, for the first time in your life, you are known like Yes, that is who I am. That's who I always knew I was. I just couldn't put my finger on it. That's who I am. And God alone knows you. God alone knows you, what your, what your purpose is, who what your name is, your identity, everything about you. And all that will be revealed to you. And we will find fulfillment in that kingdom that we have never even dreamed of here. Never even dreamed of here. The implications of all of this are not just do good so you don't go to hell. The implications of this are, I'll, I'll close with this story. I, I, um, I shared it several weeks ago. 
Last year, this time when we were in Papua New Guinea, visiting with the Clausanes, uh, I heard Nate Clausane share about his ministry with the Powell people and with just such emotion. He's not a very emotional guy, uh, but just, just broke while he was talking. And he began to, you know, his work for the last six or seven years has been all about getting to know people and translation work and language work and things like that. And, and only within the last several weeks has he finally begun to share the gospel with these people. But a year ago, when he was looking forward to this time when he's now sharing the gospel, uh, I heard he stood before a bunch of other missionaries at a meeting, and he said, uh, as, he, as, he just, as the emotion kind of came over him, he, he said, you know, I, I have so many pal friends that I've made over the last six or seven years. So many friends, and many of them have died. Many of them died, you know, through accidents, through just natural course of events, pe- people died. He said, as he began to cry and as he began to weep, he said, I don't want another one of my friends to die before I can get the gospel in their hands. You guys hear me say this all the time. We are no less called to Dixon and to this area here that we live in than he is called to that tribe. And I don't want another person, another friend, another neighbor to pass on until we get the gospel in their hands, until they hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And guys, here's the thing. You don't have an excuse He had six years of language work to do. You don't have an excuse. I want that fire. I want that passion in us. Why? Because, yes, hell is real, but heaven is real. And you know what? You can scare people with hell all day long, but I would rather paint a picture of how great heaven's going to be because we don't want any. I want, when we get there, when the kingdom comes back together, I want to be standing there with all of you and with so many that aren't inside these walls right now. That's the work. That's why God hasn't come, hasn't come back yet. Because he's got work for us to do. He's got work for us to do. Why are we looking to constantly grow this church and constantly talking about becoming a bigger church? And why are we always talking about, you know, numbers and attendance and things like that? Why? Because every one of those numbers is a soul that will be stand with us in the kingdom. Every one of those numbers count. Why do we count people? Because people count to God. That's why. People, it drives me crazy people talking about, oh, you shouldn't count people. You count the offering. So which matters more? We count people here. Why? Because I want as many people standing with us in the kingdom as possible. As many as possible. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Let's pray. Jesus, I love you so much. I thank you. I thank you that you stand in my stead. That you offer me your holiness and your righteousness. Thank you so much that my eternity is not dependent on me, but it's entirely dependent on you. And so, Jesus, I choose to stand with you. I choose to stand with you. I know that you have called us to, to greater work. God, give us a passion for the work that you've called us to. God, put a fire in our bellies to reach people for you. God, we love loving uh, this town and this community. We love um, sharing your love with them through kind acts, through generosity, through gifts, through service, through work, through things like that. We love serving this community, God. But please remind us often that if we're not sharing you with them, then it's not really love. 
So God, give us boldness. Give us a boldness. Help us to share our faith and the hope that we have in you with, with our neighbors, with our family, with our friends. Help us, give us the boldness to invite them into your church where they can hear that message. And um, we look forward to your kingdom. We look forward to your kingdom being fulfilled. We look forward to being known as you know us. We look forward to the fulfillment that we'll find there, the peace that we'll find there, God. We look forward to the day when all wrongs are set right. We look forward to your presence. So we pray as uh, the early Christians prayed often, God, even so, come quickly. Come quickly. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.